you know, fall is just around the corner, and it's, it's one of my, my favorite seasons of the year. Growing up in South Bend, Indiana, the arrival of fall brought two of my favorite things, Michigan apples, because we live, I mean, Michigan was just about 10 minutes up the road from, from where I lived. Michigan apples, that there's, there's nothing better in the fall than a Michigan apple right off the tree. So good. If you haven't tried it, you really should do it sometime. Um, and of course, Notre Dame football. <laughs> hey now. I grew up about 10 minutes from the university. My dad worked there for many years. And while we, we usually watched the Saturday games on the local NBC station, Channel 16, WNDU, uh, occasionally I would get the chance to go to a game in person, usually with my oldest friend, Dennis Parker. Yes, he has the same last name as me. No, we're not related. <laughs> Um, but his, his uncle Paul usually once, uh, you know, once a year or or so would get tickets to a game, and we would go, and it it was one of the most amazing experiences. Game day at Notre Dame, as, as with any college, there's all kinds of activities on the campus. You know, all of the the dorms have their own, uh, you, you know food setups where you can go and buy food, and they've got the big grills out, and um, you've got the tailgate parties, and all, all kinds of stuff going on on campus. But my favorite thing was about 90 minutes before the game, the Notre Dame marching band would give a concert out in front of Bond Hall. And if you don't know anything about the Notre Dame Marching Band, it is the oldest marching band in the United States. And I, I think they're the best. They're fantastic. And as a musician, getting to hear them play in person was just so great. But after the concert, they would do a step-off to the stadium. So the, you know, the drummers are, are playing Everybody's kind of marching to the stadium along with the band, and this is this big processional. And finally, you know, they get to the stadium. Everybody filters into the stands, and the uh, the announcer guy says, "Ladies and gentlemen, the oldest band in the land, the Notre Dame marching band," and the the uh, drum major. I mean, he, he's just ready, and he, and he gets ready to lead them onto the field, and he's just high-stepping like you wouldn't believe. They've got so much energy, and it's, the, the crowd is going wild, you know, 80-plus thousand fans going crazy. The roar of the crowd is deafening, and today, as we look at what David is doing, bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem with 30 plus thousand people. I, I have to imagine that that was kind of what it was like for David to be leading the processional, like leading that marching band onto the field. 
And so David has recently become king after the death of Saul, um, and he's leading this large processional. And what we're going to see in this passage is that true worship is characterized by a passion for the presence of God. Would you look with me in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6? Open your Bibles with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6. And this is a decent-sized passage, but we're going to read the whole thing. So here is what the text says. It says, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Yuzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came up to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there because of the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David... The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. He blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each. 
And then all the people departed, each to his house. And David returned to bless his household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his, ser of, of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel. The people of the Lord, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Let's pray as we dig into this passage. Lord, as we look into your word, would you reveal to us ways that we fall short, ways that our passion is not strong enough, and most importantly, Lord, the grace that you have extended to us. Open our eyes, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, the first thing that we see in the passage is this. A desire for God's presence leads to enthusiastic praise. A desire for God's presence leads to enthusiastic praise. Notice... In verse 1, David gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and he arose with all the people to bring up the ark of God. So they're bringing the ark to Jerusalem. Doug, why don't you go ahead and put that picture up there. So this, is, this isn't the actual ark of the covenant, but it is an artist's rendering, and so at what was the ark? It, it was the place where the presence of God resided with his people. It was a wooden box that was overlaid with gold. Uh, on the top, there were two cherubim uh, right there. They called that the mercy seat. And inside were the two tablets of stone that the Lord had written uh, the Ten Commandments on, reminding them of God's law. Uh, also, Aaron's rod that had budded and reminded them of God's miracles and the plagues that he had performed in Egypt. And then a jar of manna reminding them of God's provision in the wilderness. And the Ark of the Covenant was the only piece of furniture in the back room of the tabernacle. The holy of holies, as it were. And it was walled off by a curtain. And it was so sacred that only once a year could the high priest enter after making sacrifices for the people's sins. Only once a year could he enter and stand in the presence of God. 
And for more than 40 years, the ark has been in, in a small town on the outskirts of Judah. It's been neglected. At one point, it was, it was the centerpiece of their lives, of their worship. It was carried by the priests across the Jordan River, and the waters parted as they entered the Promised Land. It went ahead of the processional as they marched around the walls of Jericho seven times, and the walls came tumbling down. It was the place where the presence of God resided with his people. And so, why does David want to bring it to Jerusalem? It can only be because of his strong desire for the presence of God. Notice what David says in Psalm 63 that illustrates his desire for God's presence. He says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. You see, there was nothing David wanted more than God's presence. To have it near to him. To experience it in all its fullness. Unlike Saul, who allowed the ark to languish on the outskirts of Judah who expressed zero interest in bringing it and making it the centerpiece once again. David takes a massive throng of people to bring it back into the capital city in glorious procession. And so I ask you today, where is your passion for the presence of God. Do you have it? Does it burn so deep in your soul that you want nothing more? Because that was David's experience. A desire for the presence of God leads to enthusiastic praise. Notice verse 3. They carried the ark of God on a new cart. And brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. Ahio went before the ark. And notice this. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. It, it had to have been kind of like that marching band. And they're making their way the nine miles 
from there to Jerusalem. That's a long walk. (laughs) And they're drawn into enthusiastic praise. But even though the presence of God leads to enthusiastic praise, we also see here that the presence of God demands our humility and respect. You see, there were laws that the Lord had put into place for how the ark was to be transported. We see in the text that they put it on a new cart. I mean, at least it was a new cart, right? But that wasn't how the Lord had defined the ark to be transported. It, it had to be carried. There, there were four rings on the four corners of it, and it was to be carried on poles. And only the Levitical priests descended from Aaron, the first high priest could carry it. And it, if you read through the book of Leviticus where all these, these laws and rules are, are handed down, I mean, it's just rule after rule after rule after rule after rule. And you gotta, you gotta wonder, what is the point of all these rules? And What I think the point is, is that God is saying, I I am separate from you. We are not the same. God is other and holy, and your sin separates you from him. Our sin separates us from the holiness of God. And a holy God defines the ways that he will be worshipped. As David says in Psalm 24, reflecting on this, Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, his Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Sin is serious. And if we don't take it, especially in our culture today, we don't take it nearly serious enough. And neither did Uzzah. Notice in verse 6, when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. And the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Yikes! Right? I mean, can you imagine being in the middle of a worship service and God strikes somebody dead? 
I mean, it, it's kind of the proverbial, you know, shoot one, the rest will follow, right? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? It, it, it's like, you know, those scenes in movies where, you know, everybody's celebrating and all of a sudden somebody, somebody does something and everything stops. And you can hear a pin drop. In the midst of this massive worshiping throng, Uzzah falls dead beside the ark. Uzzah's mistake seems innocent, doesn't it? It really does. I mean, what's the big deal? He just kind of helped the ark not to fall onto the ground, right? He was trying to protect the ark. It seems like a small thing. But here's the problem. Uzzah thought that the ark touching the ground would defile it more than his touching it would. And if we're not careful, brothers and sisters, we will always underestimate the sinfulness that's in our own hearts. Notice David's response, verse 8. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. That, that literally means breaking out against Uzzah, where the Lord broke out against Uzzah. David's first response is anger. He's angry. But who is David angry at? Is it Uzzah? I don't think so. Is it, is it God? No, I, I think what we see here, David is angry with himself. A true leader owns his mistakes. He blames no one else. Clearly, he made a mistake So his first response is anger. And then it's followed by fear. Verse 9, David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? I mean, if, if Uzzah just barely touched the ark trying to keep it from falling, I know the sinfulness that's in my heart. How can the ark of the Lord come to me? How can I stand in the presence of a holy God? And he's filled with fear and despondency. I mean, remember, David desperately desires the presence of God. So anger leads to fear, and fear leads to abandoning the mission, verse 10. So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Can you imagine how Obed-Edom feels? I mean, he's, 
it, the, the way it sounds like, I mean, he's just kind of a guy that lives, lives off the side of the road here. I mean, it's like where this happened, it's like, okay, where, where can we put this thing? Because we're not taking it back to the city. I mean, who else is going to die? And so, I mean, can you, can you imagine Obed-Edom? They're like, here. And Obed-Edom's like, no. And they, they just leave. And so the ark stays in the house of Obed-Edom for three months. Three months go by. And you got to imagine, surely in that time, David, it, you know, like, like any leader would, he's like, okay, what, where did we go wrong? What happened to cause what just happened? And so surely he's consulting with his advisors and, and the priests to see where they went wrong. And surely they, they would have re- reminded David that the, the ark was not supposed to be on a cart. It was supposed to be carried by the Levites who were descended from Aaron, the original high priest. And, and, and then he gets word back that the Lord is blessing the house of Obed-Edom. Not an Israelite, he's not an Israelite, but the presence of God in his household is bringing about great blessing. And so after three months go by, David decides it's time. And so in verse 12, so David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. There it is again. But notice how they do it this time. They're going to do it right. He says, when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps. Now, seven would have been the number of completion or perfection. Six steps. They're not quite on their way yet and they offer sacrifices. Sacrifices to cover the sins of the people. And after that is done, they then proceed to Jerusalem. And and David doesn't hold back. He's not, he's not acting proper and kingly. David dances before the Lord with all his might. And you, you remember, that this, this is David who is the great general. He's, he's the great warrior that slew Goliath. Actually, back then, he wasn't a great warrior. He's since become a great warrior. David has a lot of might, a lot of energy. (laughs) And he dances before the Lord, expressing his joy, basking in the presence of God. And David was wearing a linen ephod. And so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting 
and with the sound of the horn. So the presence of God demands our humility and respect, but the presence of God also calls us to surrender our status. Notice what David is wearing. He's wearing a linen ephod. This was the ro- the, the, uh, a, a garment that the priests would wear. It was a, a, a linen robe. It, it's not the royal robes of a king. It's the lowly garments of a servant priest. There's no pomp and circumstance in this celebration for the king himself. David wants all the attention to go to the presence of God, to the ark that is coming to Jerusalem. David says, the focus is not on me. But I'm going to lose myself in praising the God whose presence is here. He doesn't care what anybody thinks. Zero care. And he dances before the Lord with all of his might. He trades royal dignity for unhindered worship. And he trades the robes of a king for the garb of a priestly servant. It, it reminds me, uh, when, when I hear, hear about David dancing before the Lord... Um, when, when my daughter Sophia was a, a bit younger, y- y'all may remember this when we uh, used to meet down in the fellowship center, but she would always be kind of in the back. And as we would sing, she'd just be dancing away. Sometimes, sometimes I would have to tell her, Sophia, you, you, you can't forget where you are because you're going to run into everybody. <laughs> but just her, her childlike wonder and desire to, to dance and to move and to be in God's presence and to celebrate who he is and what he's done for her. That's, that's how we need to be. It shouldn't, it shouldn't matter who is getting the attention. The attention when we gather here to worship God The focus is on the God who we worship. The presence of God calls us to surrender our status. And so I want to ask us, what is going on?